Sixers and Flyers. WENJ, WENJ HD, Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Five o'clock hour on the Sports Bash. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill. Mike will be back in here on Monday when the weekend's done, along with Hunter Birdie. Sixers basketball tonight. 6.30, ESPN. 5 o'clock hour of the Sports Bash being brought to you by the New Jersey Department of Agriculture. Now it's time to get juicy Jersey Fresh peaches and nectarines. You're guaranteed to enjoy these Jersey gems. Find Jersey Fresh peaches at your favorite market. Stay local. Buy Jersey Fresh. Ben Simmons, a partial dislocation of his knee. What does that mean for the Sixers moving forward? Because let's be realistic. Tonight's game, it's a game. But what happens when the playoffs come around? we got to figure out what is going to happen to the Sixers. And joining us to talk all about that right now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline, CBS Sports NBA writer and Sixers insider, Michael kasky Blomain. Mike, welcome to the show. How you doing? Josh, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you jumping back on like you always do. So I'm, I'm just going to open end question here because to me, I'm curious to know what happens with the Sixers team moving forward because – Look, no longer to me is it a game-by-game game thing. But Simmons out, to me, it's about what is the actual legitimate expectation for this team moving forward because we're only about a week away from the playoffs and Ben Simmons is probably going to be out potentially two to four weeks, You know, even if all things add up. So what can a Sixers team minus Ben Simmons but with a healthy Joel Embiid, what can they do in the playoffs, Mike? Yeah, that's obviously the big question, Josh, and I think the key is what you just said, the fact that it's a, a healthy Joel Embiid. I think Joel has looked, uh, you know, probably as good as he's looked throughout the course of his career, um, you know, in Orlando so far. He came in healthy and well rested. He obviously used the time while well, the season was suspended to make sure that he stayed in shape so that he could come back and, you know, help the Sixers advance in the playoffs. Now, you know, it's with Ben, you know, his how long he's out is open-ended at this point, so it's tough to say moving forward exactly what the team's going to look like, but at least in the short term or until he's back, you think that, um, you know, Brett will, you know, surround uh, Joel with shooters. He said yesterday while he was talking to uh, media members on Zoom that, you know, even more of the Sixers offense is going to go through Joel now, and there's going to be even more of an emphasis on him, you know, getting him the ball where he likes it in the post or, or at the elbow. Uh, so, you know, obviously even more of the Sixers' success is going to depend on Joel and then surrounding him with, you know, some of the guys that the, the team has put in place over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, it's going to be up to pretty much everybody else to step up with Ben out or at least until they're uh, able to get him back. Would you anticipate Al Horford being back in the starting rotation or maybe sliding Tobias back to the four and someone else slide into the three, whether that's, Glenn Robinson the third. I know he's been banged up, or Matisse Thibel, or something of that nature. Yeah, that's at least what I would do for you know the continuity sake. Um, obviously, Joel and Al didn't look great together during the time they had during the regular season, and I think surrounding Joel with shooters uh, in the other four spots in the starting lineup is a better way to maximize his talent. But um, 
you know, there's a chance that Brett will put out in the starting lineup again, just to, you know, put, put him out there. But if it was me, uh, I would, I would send him with shooters. Now with that in mind, what lineup do you think would best fit a team with, jo- with Joel Embiid in the starting lineup, Al Horford coming off the bench? Because we assume that Brett likes the Shake Milton, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid for who do you think is the best fifth guy for that lineup starting in a game without Al Horford coming off the bench and Ben Simmons out for two to four weeks? Well, uh, Josh, just as you were just talking, we just got the note that it will be Al Horford starting tonight for Ben Simmons. So scratch everything I just said. Uh, it's going to be Joel and Al playing together in the starting lineup. I'm not a huge fan of the move, but um, you know, I guess that's the direction that Brett wants to go in for now. Do you think that something like this can work? Because you know, when Ben Simmons is out there as the traditional point guard, when he played the one before they made the move. The spacing was definitely out of whack when it came to Al Horford and Joel. But if you have somebody else with the ball in their hands and you don't have the spacing issue with Ben Simmons, is it more open to maybe actually be able to be efficient on the offensive side? Yeah, I think that's probably the, you know, Brett's line of thought there. Obviously, with Ben out of the lineup there, it will open up the court a little bit more to have, you know, even if you have Joel and Al together, you'll have three other guys that can spread the floor and shake Josh Richardson and Tobias, obviously. And Al, of course, is you know certainly capable of hitting the mid-range jumper or spreading out to the three-point line. So the spacing will probably still be a bit improved. I just thought that you know for continuity sake and to you know maximize Joel in the post. But you know the, I do think it's it's at least worth a look, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's what they're going to do come the playoff times. Obviously, these seeding games, uh, the Sixers have been using as as kind of an opportunity before the injury at least to you know test out some rotations and see where guys fit well and you know there's a chance if if Brett goes with this move today and they try it for a couple games and things just don't look like they're working out well or the spacing is still kind of wonky uh you know he could switch it you know move Al back to the bench and slide someone else into that starting spot what do you think the biggest issue with Al Horford has been I mean it's hard for me to believe that Al Horford just became this bad in one season. And then you see some stat lines over these exhibition games. One night he was minus 26 in 23 minutes. And when Joel Embiid was off the floor, that's who you need to rely on. So it's just hard for me to believe that he fell off this quickly. What do you think the biggest issue is with him? Uh, I think the main thing has just been the, it's been a rough fit for him from the beginning, and I feel like he's never really been able to find uh, a rhythm with the Sixers from you know from the beginning of the season. I mean, I do think he's lost a step. Just in, you know that that is what happens. Obviously, as you you know get older, he's been in the NBA for over a decade. Has a lot of miles on you know on his body. He's over you know well above thirty. So I do think he's not you know quite as nimble and quick as he was during his prime with the Hawks or even during his run with the Celtics. But uh, I, I just think the main thing was the fact that he just really hasn't been able to, to be comfortable. He, he came here uh, with the hope that he'd be able to compliment Joel really well. But, the you know, the way the league has changed, you know, very rapidly year by year where it's it's so much emphasis is placed on floor, floor spacing and transition now. And he's kind of, you know, doesn't quite fit the mold of what a four-man is in the NBA today. Uh, I think it's just been, it's been hard for him, obviously. Then he was in, you know, in and out of the starting lineup. He was out, and then he had to go back in because of injuries. And then, obviously, he was just out, and now he's going back in. So I think it's just been it's been a rough first season for him in Philly. And hopefully, uh, you know, with whether or not Ben's able to come back, I think he's been – 
uh, playing decently in Orlando, and hopefully he can at least get a little bit of momentum moving forward to help them in the playoffs because they'll, you know, they'll obviously need him, especially if Ben is uh, sidelined for a long time. How much of the issues with Al Horford, Mike, have to do with the fact that you know maybe when Elton Brand signed him that they miscast him in for the Sixers, and how much of the problems with Horford is really not as much him specifically as much as the front office signing the wrong guy to make that to fill that void on the roster. Oh yeah, hundred percent, Josh. I think you know you just nailed it. And I think a lot of people called that. Uh, you know, right from the beginning, there was a lot of you know skepticism about that Al Horford deal, and especially the fact that they signed him to a four-year deal. Um, you know, it's one thing if you signed him to a two-year deal and it didn't work out after the first season. He's an expiring contract. He's still you know young enough that it would it would be not that hard to find a you know a trade partner. But now they're strapped into three more years of a situation that clearly you know didn't pan out as they they had envisioned when they signed him to that deal. And, you know, some of it, obviously, Elton Brand is still a new GM, and he's a guy that invested a lot in Al Horford, and he doesn't want to, you know, like any normal person, I'm sure he doesn't want to look bad necessarily and admit that it was a bad signing. But, you know, ultimately, if things don't change in terms of his fit or his role on the team, because, you know, if you're paying a guy over $100 million over four years to give you, you know, four points and six rebounds a game, it, it's just not money well spent. And I think ultimately, uh, you know, the short term, they – obviously hope he can contribute this season but afterwards I think you're really going to have to you know look in the mirror and see if there's a if it's the best fit moving forward for the next three seasons not to get too far ahead of ourselves but do you think that that contract's even movable uh for pennies on the dollar like it's some team would would like Al Horford I think and he will certainly he would fit on a lot of teams in the in the league today as a five man uh a lot of the younger teams I, I think could definitely use him and they would probably take the financial part off of the Sixers hands but I don't know you know at that point what you'd be getting in return for you know what was supposed to be a, a pretty high tar- high you know top tier um, high profile free agent signing for this team to take the next step and it kind of you know it's just gone in the other direction so his value even to what it was when they first signed him to what seemed to be like kind of a long you know a longer term deal has definitely dropped since you know people have seen him with the Sixers but from what I've heard at least there's still you know a few teams around the league that value you know both what Al brings to a team both on and off the floor. So that opens me up to a twofold question then with Horford then which is number one what kind of teams do you think would be interested and even able to make a deal for Horford? And the second question is, how likely would it be for the Sixers to even trade him, considering the fact that this entire environment with the NBA season ending in October and the potential of it not even starting until January? I mean, the whole world is flipped on its head. So, you know, there's a lot of what ifs going on here. Yeah, and the, that's that's a good point, Josh. And obviously, the longer the Sixers hold on to Al Horford, the easier it will be to trade him in terms of the years remaining on his contract. Um, but I think there's the teams that would be potentially interested in him are some of the teams that are, uh, you know, young younger core teams that could use both a, a perimeter or a post player and a, a veteran leader. Uh, the Grizzlies are a team that, that come to mind. The the Kings are another team that come to mind. Potentially the Thunder. Some of these teams that have you know, dynamic guard play in place, and even some, you know, and the Grizzlies have great uh, forward in Jaron Jackson Jr. But, you know, I think Al is just a guy that could come in, and at this point, too, he showed with the Sixers that he's willing to, uh, you know, be adaptable to the role, even coming off the bench for the first time in his career. So I think 
when now that that's in kind of that hurdle's been crossed at this point, and the money's already there for Al. Obviously, whoever trades for him will still be paying him the same amount. So I think there'll be definitely some teams that would be interested in him. And like I said earlier, at that point, it's just a matter of you know the, what the Sixers would be able to get back. This doesn't seem like it would be uh, you know very good. I'll throw a hypothetical at you: first round of playoffs, no Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid being the guy. Based off the size matchup that we all look at when it comes to those two teams playing each other, do you think that the Sixers could actually still win that series? Yeah, I think the Sixers definitely have a chance with Joel playing, uh, you know, the way he's playing and, you know, some of the other guys they have around around him in the, uh, you know, in the earlier rounds at least. I think the trouble will come in and we still don't know, you know, Ben's status moving forward. But if he is out indefinitely, I think the trouble will come in the later rounds against a team like the, the Bucks or the Raptors or a team like that where you'll, you'll miss Ben. You know, A, you'll miss his ability, his, uh, you know, creation on the offensive end. He generates, um, you know, so many looks for the for the Sixers throughout the game and you know even though he obviously gets his fair share of slack for not shooting their what he does for their offense is huge uh and then defensively he's a uh, you know obviously one of the one of the better defenders in the NBA so I think early on by you know going the offense more through Joel which is what Brett said they're going to do uh trying to get him more looks in the post and spread the floor around him I do think that's a recipe for success but I just question whether you know that'll be able to hold up once you get into the deeper rounds against some of the teams that will really be able to scheme Joel, uh, you know, send doubles and triples and things like that at him, and you'll need other guys to step up. Michael Kasky, Blue Main, joining us on the boardwalk on the hotline on 97.3 ESP, an NBA writer for CBS Sports, also Sixers Insider. Follow him on Twitter at the real Mike KB for all your Sixers and NBA news. Uh, Mike, speaking of Embiid, you know, now that he's healthy, now that he's playing as well as he has for these first few games, what do you think this team can do heading into the postseason? Because, you know, analytically, they showed the numbers last night on SportsCenter. The Sixers actually are better if you go by the analytics with Embiid without Simmons on the floor. So could that translate into a long playoff run, no matter how long Ben Simmons is out, if Embiid can keep up this level of production? Yeah, to an extent, Josh, I, I definitely think it can. The Sixers, do, you know, still do have a lot of talent, and the shift in style would be more in line with what's going, you know, going on across the league today with one, you know, one big guy in Joel that would be in the post and then basically just spreading the floor around him with four capable shooters at all times. And, the, you know, the Sixers' defense has been solid before these Orlando games. It was a solid defense. So I do think they have enough talent to – you know, make make a run into the postseason. It just becomes my main question with Ben out will just be uh, issues that they had in the postseason the past couple of years, which is once it comes down to crunch time, uh, shot creation in the clutch. I worry, um, you know, when your best player is a post player, that already kind of makes it a little bit difficult because unlike a guard, the post player needs someone to get it into them, and the you know better teams will have doubles and triples and schemes for Joel and make it really hard for him to get the ball. And even if he does get it, you know, it'll be tough for him to do anything. And at that point, uh, I think the biggest question about the Sixers will be, you know, do they have enough weapons around him that can not only knock down shots, but also just create, you know, put the ball on the floor, open up looks for other teams, uh, you know, class the defense, things like that. Cause that's, you know, Ben does a whole lot of that for the offense and outside of him, 
Um, you know, and obviously Shake Milton has been a nice addition, but he's still unproven. And then, you know, you look at their bench and they're kind of, there's not a lot of creators there. So I think that would be the biggest issue. But in the in the short term, for the rest of these seeding games in the first round or two, I think the Sixers could, you know, be very formidable relying on Joel and just surrounding him with shooters. How did you feel about the Shake Milton and Joel Embiid bench argument? Obviously, Shake answered the bell the next night by taking the game-winning shot while Embiid was kind of looking for the ball in the post, which I think was uh, you know, a pretty big sign for him to be able to do that after they just had the fight. But you know, how do you feel about that whole situation playing out? Yeah, I didn't mind it. I thought it got like a lot of things have to tend to do. I think it thought it got blown out of proportion a little bit. I mean, it, it happened right on the sideline and was caught by the camera, so obviously it was easier for people to critique. But you know, having been around teams and in locker rooms and stuff, stuff like that happens all the time. And if it was something that lingered, that would be more of an issue. But they both, like you just said, Shake obviously bounced back on the floor. Joel has, has made light of it on Instagram a couple times. They've he obviously squashed any any issues that they had between them, and it, it was just one of those things in the heat of the moment. I think ultimately it could work to potentially make them, you know, uh, a little bit tighter as a duo. I think Shake, obviously, by bouncing back, hitting that game winner and kind of responding, it, it probably earned Joel's trust a little bit more. Um, they hadn't played together that much before Orlando. So, you know, I think it was one of those things that, that happens in basketball, but there's no, you know, I don't think it will have any lingering negative effects on the team for sure. Now, there are a lot of people who are overreacting to Shake Milton. You know, we've had people – Talking about, you know, Shake Milton, is he going to be the long-term point guard here? Could he potentially be an all-star one day? Some people have suggested that, you know, the Sixers should hire a coach who is good for Shake less than who's good for Embiid and Simmons. So what really is the long-term perspective on Shake Milton, not just in the Sixers uniform, but as an NBA guard? It's interesting, and I think we'll learn a lot about Shake now coming up, especially with Ben out because so much more of the creation uh, is going to fall on him. Coming into Orlando, they needed him to play a role, uh, you know, which is just a guard that could knock down shots and create when Ben didn't have the ball. Um, you know, which was not they didn't need him to be a guy that came out and dropped thirty and eight every game. Um, now that's going to increase a little bit with with Ben out, how much he's going to be expected to produce, and I think how he responds is going to go a long way to you know determining his long term future, not only with the Sixers but in the league. Um, you know, as good as he was, he only played you know less than twenty games for the Sixers earlier this season. He, there's really not you know a lot of tape or anything on him. I think it's too early to really um, you know define what he's going to be over the course of his career. But with all eyes on him now in Orlando, um, especially in Ben's absence, I think he'll, you know, will be able to make a case for himself really strongly, um, you know, one way or the other at least. What are your thoughts on Tobias's game since being in the bubble? It seems like he's been more aggressive and offensively he has added a little bit. Yeah, I've been impressed with Tobias. I think that's what the Sixers need him to be, uh, you know, especially with Ben out too. But just in general, they brought him to be, you know, that third guy that could potentially put them over the top. And I thought at times, uh, you know, throughout the season and last year, he was too passive and you there would be too many stretches would go where, the you know, you he wouldn't really put his fingerprints on the game. And I think in Orlando, it's been a pretty uh, clear effort on his part to, you know, not let that happen. He's just been more aggressive, putting the ball on the floor, to, you know, taking it into the paint, going for the offensive glass. So, you know, overall, I've been really impressed with his, you know, his his game, and the Sixers will need even more of that from him coming up. 
That brings me to Josh Richardson. I'm just so confused on what his role is. And it's not just his fault when I bring up the defense because we've seen these fourth-quarter defenses lately. They've been giving up 40-plus points, and it's been abysmal. But, you know, going back to Josh Richardson, I'm just so confused on what his role is at times. You know, ideally his role um, on paper when the Sixers had their, their starting lineup to start the season, he was the fifth guy you would consider offensively and you know, his role really is kind of just to be a 3 and D guy for the team. It's It's been a little bit more now, obviously, with, you know, some of the injuries. But basically, they he's here to guard the, you know, their guards on the other team. Now he's struggled with doing that at times. Uh, but the team as a whole has struggled defensively. But he's, you know, a guy that's supposed to be able to, you know, you put him on a Kemba or a Kyrie or, or something like that. And it's, you know, guys that have ports the Sixers in the past. He's supposed to, you know, the first line of defense. And then offensively, uh, just a guy that can knock down shots. I think he, Brett Brown has tried to put him in, in roles that he's not necessarily comfortable with at times. As You know, he's not a ball handler. He's not a backup point guard necessarily. And I think they've tried to fit like a square peg in a round hole sometimes in terms of that. And that's, you know, kind of probably has led to some of the confusion or, you know, why is why is that his role? But it, I, in, I, in an ideal situation on a well-structured team, he'd be a guy that, you know, you're not expecting to give you a lot offensively just to knock down open shots and to play some, you know, really good perimeter defense. Working under the assumption that Ben Simmons is going to miss the projected time they say he's going to miss, the the two- to four-week window. I'm assuming that means that Ben would miss at least the first round of the playoffs. So how do the Sixers minus Ben Simmons with the team that they have? Tobias Harris playing great. Bench has been solid at times. But how do they match up versus their potential first-round opponents? It's tough depending on who they play. You know, right now if they played the Celtics uh, without Ben Simmons, I think that's really tough because you're looking at a team that has, you know, three really good perimeter players in uh, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. And Ben, you know, if Josh would have been on on Kemba Walker, Ben would have been tasked with guarding one or the other of, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think without him to – you know, in there to, to try to slow one of them. It's a, it's a pretty tough matchup. You probably lean really heavily on the Embiid and, and Horford pairing in that situation, obviously to neutralize some of the size. Boston's not the biggest team. They have, you know, Daniel Tice and, and Cantor. But, you know, I, I think that would be a tough matchup. If they're able to slide up into that fifth spot and, and go against the Heat, I think that would be a little bit more probably better a better matchup for them, especially with Ben's sideline. They could play a little bit smaller, uh, and, you know, space spread the floor out around Joel. But, you know, either way, without Ben, it, it's definitely going to be tough. It would be tough anyway. The East has been really good this year, but I think when you're missing a, a perimeter defender like Ben, it, it just really makes everything more difficult matchup-wise. I'm sure we'll be talking more NBA throughout the coming weeks as the bubble has been hot, the games have been great. Of course, we have a double header today on 97.3 ESPN. Sixers, Magic coming up at 6.30. Then at 9 o'clock, we got for you Celtics, Raptors coming up today on 97.3 ESPN. And as all guests, Michael Kasky, Blomain joined us on the Boardwalk on the Hotline. Follow him on Twitter at the Real Mike KB for all your NBA and Sixers news. And of course, check out his work over at CBS Sports where he writes about the NBA and the Sixers. Mike, appreciate the time and enjoy the games tonight. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Josh and Connor Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. Sports Bash being brought to you by Matt, Matt Black Kia. Matt Black Kia wants to get you approved today. That's Matt Black Kia on the Black Horse Pike, Egg Harbor Township. 
Text board is open for you to get on the conversation. 609-403-0973. The PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open. 609-403-0973. Talk more about the Sixers game tonight coming up at 6.30. Also, maybe we'll get to more some more of those Flyers reactions here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill along with Hunter Brody in the house. Broads81 on Twitter. I'm at Josh Hennig on Twitter as we also have the NHL playoffs here in the studio. Five questions still to come as well. Don't forget tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN. Billy Schwein in the locker room from 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, I haven't heard from Billy most of the day. I have a theory for why that is. Apparently he claimed to me earlier that his phone wasn't working. So I'm assuming that either he's busy or his phone is not working again. That's why I haven't heard from Billy much today. It's my working theory, at least. Well, if Billy's phone isn't working, do you feel confident in him figuring out how to fix the phone? No. Well, that's our first problem. (laughs) With many other problems. Uh, I'll be on tomorrow, Sports Bash Saturday from 12 to 2. And by the way, game night with yours truly starts Monday at 6 p.m., on 97.3 ESPN. So while Broads is taking the drive back home, he gets stuck with me on the radio. I might call in. Would you let me on? Should I? I don't know. Depends. If it's Flyers action, maybe. <laughs> we got more Sports Bash coming up. 97.3 ESPN. Play Sugar House text board is open. 609-403-0973. Listen to Sixers basketball tomorrow with Tom McKinnis calling all the action. Are you kidding me? Welcome back into Sports Bash. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill. Mike will be back in here on Monday. Speaking of the Sports Bash, Sports Bash being brought to you by the New Jersey Department of Agriculture. Jersey Fresh Eggplant is great fried, baked, or grilled and available in many varieties. Be sure to pick it up at your local favorite market. That's Jersey Fresh Eggplant. Stay local by Jersey fresh. We got an update on Billy Schwan. Oh, Billy Schwan's alive? It looks like he texted us instantly as soon as he heard us talking about him. So, ah, okay. therefore, his phone is okay, and you should be mad at him for not answering you back. Well, here's the thing. I can't be too mad at Billy because of the fact that I'm very well aware, as you and I both are as his producers on Saturday and Sunday, of how tech illiterate he can be at times. He's not the most tech-efficient person. I showed him how to use a USB. There's a possibility. (laughs) There's a strong possibility that Bill is having a legitimate problem with his phone, but that his problem with his phone is less with the phone than him using said phone kind of thing. Like, he might have locked himself out of his phone, for example, because he gave his daughter his phone and she changed his passcode on him. Like, I could <laughs> totally see great. that happening. Now, he texted us and said, I got a couple calls from people telling me you were ripping me about my hockey knowledge. Now, I responded and said, you know, look, I claimed that Billy Schwime and I, we always get in the argument. I love arguing with Billy Schwime. It's a very respectful argument about hockey and fighting. And he claims there's no such thing anymore. 
no such thing as fighting in hockey. And I said, there is. We've seen millions of fights in this in this round-robin play or this qualifying round. There's fights all the time throughout the league. It might not happen with the Flyers every night, but there's plenty of fights around hockey. So I just claim that maybe Billy's just not watching around the league every night, which is fine. Not everybody does. But you can't say there's no fighting in hockey if you don't give it context where, yes, there is. It just might not happen with the Flyers every night. Now, Billy claims the problem is his specific cell phone network, a cell phone network that does not advertise with us, so I would not give them any publicity. But I will also say it's not my cell company, so I'm not experiencing the same problems that he is. Now, I did have problems a couple days ago because when the storm hit, everyone's towers got affected a little bit with the storm plowing through our area. Some of the cell towers had to get repaired, as you know. I, I got a I got a problem with my cell service, and I can't stand it. It's awful. Can't stand it. I'm at the point where I'm about to go in there and change because I just don't get service anywhere, even before this storm happened. I don't get service anywhere to the point where I'm about to go put my foot down. Then I had contract issues. Well, you can't buy out the phone because the contract ended in the state of New Jersey. You got to continue to pay this. I'm like, no, no. That's how I felt about it. I was pissed off the other day, Josh. I don't want to talk about the cell phone thing anymore because I'll, I'll get pissed. Well, anyway, Billy Schwein tomorrow at 10 a.m. the noon, the locker room on 97.3 ESPN. I'm sure despite Billy's cell phone issues, he's going to have a good show. I'm sure he'll have his newspapers all lined up. That's the best part about Billy. He comes in, he has his newspapers, he sets down his bag over there, he gets out the cuttings, you know, he's like, oh, he's got some stuff highlighted. The newspaper, I love it. Now, we got an interesting text that just came in. I wasn't planning on going this direction, but, you know, people text into the PlaySugarHouse.com text board at 609-403-0973, and they say things, so we got to talk about it, all right? The people have an opinion and want to know, so we got to let know what the people are saying, and this is what the texter says. Texter chimes in and says, Ben Simmons is going to continue to keep letting Philly down. I get all the rah-rah about him, but I'm just out on the guy. I just don't think he'll ever take that step. We hope he will. I don't think it's fair to say that at the age of 23, 24. Now, if he starts touching that 27 years old type of life, okay, I think you can do that. But, you know, everyone's like, oh, but it's been three years. It's been this. It's been that. I, I get it. And if you haven't seen the step in the right direction when it comes to him taking the shots, well, then you're just being naive. Even though it's not where we want it to be yet, you can't sit here today and say there hasn't been improvement in his offensive game when it comes to confidence to a degree, right? I mean, he is at least attempting these threes. Maybe it's not as much as we would like it to be, but there is there has been a zero jump shot to a couple jump shots, and that's where it's going to be. It's going to continue to trend in that direction. I think this is the... The frustrated, overreaction, disappointed in Ben Simmons right now type of comment that I can't get behind. Because it's a process with these guys. It, you don't just draft Ben Simmons and then automatically think that he's going to take you to the NBA Finals when this league is all about being a grown man. And Ben Simmons is not a grown man yet. I understand what you're saying. But I also understand where the texture is coming from. And I understand the frustrations because of the fact that when you're drafted number one overall, whether it's fair or not, there's a level of expectation for you 
to play at a certain level in the NBA. Yeah, but what type of superstar that got drafted number one overall at the age of 24 started bringing teams to titles every year that isn't one of the best to ever actually do it? I mean, LeBron did it when he was with Cleveland, but I don't think it's fair to, to say just because LeBron did it at Cleveland that Ben Simmons is going to do it. That's the outlier. But that's the real problem with the conversation we're having, okay? The problem is is that people say... Well, LeBron James was drafted number one overall. The problem is LeBron James doesn't come along every year. And he also came out of high school, which means he played two more years of NBA experience before Ben Simmons was on the floor. You know, because he came in at 18 compared to going to LSU, sitting out the one year, then playing NBA basketball. Sure, there's that too. But if just hear me out for a sec. Part of the problem is, is that no matter who you are, we all look at number one overall picks through a, a prism that is completely incorrect. I don't care if it's the number one draft in the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, or Major League Baseball. We hold these guys to a high expectation, not remembering that who fill-in-the-blank superstar isn't drafted every year. You don't have a Hall of Fame caliber player drafted every year in every draft. It's just mathematically impossible, all right? You can go through multiple draft years in any sport where there's guys who are just okay players every year. And the problem is, is that people wanted Ben Simmons to maybe be something he's not. And that's the problem. I've talked about this before. Expectation versus reality. When I go to a movie, when I look at an athlete, when I watch a game, if you go in there with high expectations, more often than not, you're going to be disappointed. And the problem is that people thought Ben Simmons was going to be like LeBron James. There's only one LeBron James. People were looking for the next Jordan. There's only one Jordan. People are looking for the next Kobe. There's only one Kobe. The problem is, is that people think Ben Simmons is letting Philly down, not because he's actually letting Philly down, but their own expectations were incorrect. Here's where I'll disagree just a little bit. You said that we're expecting him to be something that he's not. And I do think that Ben Simmons does have the ability to play a similar style to LeBron James. That doesn't mean eight straight finals appearances, but there's no doubt that Ben Simmons' game replicates what LeBron James does best when it comes to facilitating, being able to play one through five. He has a mini version of LeBron in him. But you said we expect him to be something that he is not, and I think that he is that. He's just not that yet. I think that it takes time to get to that level. So he's not there yet, but I think... Ben Simmons can be like a version of LeBron, a version of Kobe, a version like those players. It just doesn't happen at the age of 22, 23, 24. It happens more age 27, 28, 29. And that's where I think the disconnect is because people don't like to be patient, especially when they lost on purpose for a couple seasons. And that's where I'm going to disagree with you because I don't think Ben is on that level in his potential because of the fact that I don't think he has certain of those intrinsic qualities that a LeBron James, one of LeBron James's best skills, for example, is his intelligence. All right. LeBron has a perfect memory. If you ever listen to LeBron describe plays or recount events, 
you feel like you're talking to a computer. Like he's not even human. Like people make fun of Kawhi that he's a machine. LeBron's brain is a machine. It's kind of creepy sometimes, the amount of detail he remembers things. And he has this super high basketball IQ. And part of the reason why he gets frustrated with his teammates is because he's trying to elevate them, but their basketball IQ can't keep up with him. And one of the problems with the first run in Cleveland with LeBron was that he wasn't surrounded by some of the best basketball mentality guys. So when he came back to Cleveland and he, when he went to L.A., one of the things he told manager was, I need smart basketball guys around me. Ben Simmons' basketball IQ is not on LeBron's level. And that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be to win a championship. It though. doesn't need to be to win a championship, but it does need to be to be on that level. Okay, well, I don't. then maybe he's not going to be LeBron. I don't think he'll ever be LeBron, but he'll be his own version of a player that will win championships. Now, I do think that. I do think Ben, and I'm not trying to belittle Ben, but I think he can be similar to another Hall of Famer. All right? I'm not saying Ben's going to the Hall of Fame. So everyone wants to get ready to text in and tweet me at that now. Stop and hear me out for a hot second. All right? I think Ben can be a better version of Scottie Pippen. He can be this super elite defender who can guard all the positions. He can be a point forward. He can be the sidekick to a superstar. Yeah, I don't like that. That's a problem. I think that's a problem. If that's what Ben Simmons is, I think that's a problem. Because I think that Ben Simmons needs to be that player that has a sidekick. I don't think Ben Simmons being the sidekick is the role that I expect him to be. But that's the there's the word. You expect him Well, because to be. I think he has that his ceiling should be Batman. It should not be Robin. So if it's Robin, then I'm I'm underwhelmed with him. It should be Batman. He should be the guy that and I think he has the ability to based off of the way that he can dominate games. He just has to dominate games consistently. We can see that he could dominate games to the point where he can be Batman. He just does it, and, and Gil actually put this in a good percentage. He does it around 80 to 85%. He needs that 15 to 20% that he doesn't do it. He needs to do it more like that. But and, what if he never gets there? Well, I think, but I think he will by the eight. That's where... 27, 28, 29 basketball IQ. That's that's four years down the road of NBA basketball for 82 games and, and playoff runs. That's where you learn how to do it more consistently in those years. I expect him to do that because that's what players do. They grow, they get better, they learn, and they add to their game. I expect him in the next four seasons to do that and be that player that needs to, to be a Batman to win a championship. The reason why I don't know if I agree with that is because... I don't think Ben is assertive enough, and I don't think Ben has the I want it enough at times to be that guy. Like, w the one guy that we hear compared to Ben a lot, right, is Giannis, right? You know, Giannis couldn't shoot. Giannis learned how to shoot. Well, he still can't shoot, to be fair. He just shoots. He, he's not good at shooting. He just shoots the ball. He which, makes them. Yeah, I mean, like, he at gets— what, 30%? He gets disrespected. They don't guard him. You know, it's more right. like, hey, dude, you shoot this ball, I'll give you this all day long. Yeah, Giannis shoots, uh, he's shooting 30.1% from three. Yeah. So, okay, I mean, they, so it's they, not they, horrible. No, I mean, yes, you're correct. It's not 22%. But the point is, is that he shot 25% last year from three, though. Right. <laughs> 25, 27. But the point is, is that you know, Giannis, is, as a player, is he's more of an assertive athlete. He has a more killer mentality. He has a more, I'm going to go take over this game, give me the ball. 
more often than Ben does. And my concern is, is that Giannis, who's 25 right now, at this moment in time, Giannis is 25. It's not like Ben is 21 or 22. Ben is closer to Giannis's age than I would com- be comfortable with in his development process. And I want, if, if I saw more, I want to do this, I want to take over, I want to be the guy from him and a little bit less passive at times. Because there have been times... Well, it's different playing styles. Because that's what passive is. Like, facilitating is his strong suit. Facilitating is Giannis' strong suit. So, because of that, it's going to feel a little different because the best thing that Ben Simmons does is passing the ball and getting his teammates open. there are other facilitators who are not passive offensively when the ball isn't in their hands. Jason Kidd, for example. But that's where I expect him to grow. And that's where I'm expecting him to take that step in the next four seasons. Someone like Giannis, for the first three years, he he was a nobody. And then he grew into this. It wasn't like he just came in and was this. So Giannis grew into this guy. Ben Simmons can grow into a version of Ben Simmons that we can talk about like we talk about Giannis. I mean, for the first three years, Giannis was literally... Not even close, not even close to what he is now. And he made that jump based off of getting better. I think Ben Simmons can do the same exact thing. Okay, now, Giannis made the turn in year four, okay? He's in year now, what, eight, seven? It's a long time. Okay, what year is Ben in technically at this point? Year three. No, this is his fourth season. This is his third season. Well, he, he didn't play the first year. He did not play the first year. Okay. That is correct. So, if you're going to tell me that Ben Simmons makes the turn next year, is that what you're trying to tell me? Uh, but his turn and Giannis's turn could be two different turns. Uh, it doesn't have to be to the point where he's doing what Giannis is doing because, as you said, each player is their own. So, if Ben Simmons makes a turn in his form of making the turn. I think it's fair, but what if it's two years from now? Not everyone's the same. In two years from now, if he makes that turn, maybe it's that because every player is different. But this is year three for him when it comes to playing, and Giannis is in year seven. I mean, you're talking about four years of difference. Uh, Let's see where Ben Simmons is at in the seventh part of his career and see where that relates to someone like Giannis. Like People don't remember what it took for some of these players to get to where they're at now. And then with Ben Simmons, they have to have it right automatically right from the jump. And I just don't feel like that's fair. I understand what you're saying, but I just feel like I want to see more want to from Ben. I think I need my to see more assertion from him. My ceiling for him and your ceiling for him are two different ceilings. Maybe, but I just feel like I need to see more from his game. And now that he's injured, I don't know when I'm going to see it. Because now, even when he comes back, is he going to be, what, 70%, 85%? He's not going to be 100% whenever he comes back, you know, until next year now. You know, he was 100% coming in there with the headband and the scrimmage games and doing his thing. Then he takes the headband off when the regular season games start, and he gets a little passive at times. And then he gets torched by DJ Warren, and he goes out there and he has these okay games, and you're like, what happened to Ben Simmons? And I just, I don't know if it's all in his head or if it's in his development. I was hoping that, you know, 10% of LeBron would rub off of him and he'd take a step when those games started. And now I don't know when I'm going to see him take that step because now he's got a partially dislocated knee and I don't know when I'm going to see healthy Ben again. Now he's frustrating. I mean, there's no doubt he's frustrating. As much support as I give him, he definitely makes me angry. But you, you, you also have to factor in, 
He's playing a whole new position. He's playing a whole new uh, spot on the floor, and he's playing with a whole new starting five that he's never played with before. I'm not making excuses. He should have been better. But I just think it's way too early to ever think, as the texter said, hey, is it time to give up on him because he's not where we want him to be? He's on a birdie. I'm Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. We'll wrap up the show. Coming up next, reminder, Sixers basketball. All right, let's finish the week. Five questions. Hunter Brody, what do you got for me? Do the Sixers win tonight, Josh? Yeah, it's Orlando. All right. I mean, they have been. Do they allow 40 plus points in the fourth quarter? Uh, no. I think they allow 30 some points. How many points for Markel Fultz? 16. Wow. I don't like that. I think Fultz has a good game. I think. Here's what's going to happen Embiid and Vucevic are going to cancel each other out. And it's going to be a Tobias Harris night. Right. Remember, there's no Jonathan Isaac to guard the perimeter anymore. That's true. Do the Phillies win tonight with Vin, Vinny V on the bump against the Braves? I mean, that Braves lineup is smashing right now. I don't think so. I mean, I, I can totally see Vinny V giving up three home runs tonight. But the cutter, Josh. There's JT Homer in back-to-back -back games. Who's pitching for the Braves? <laughs> uh, that's actually a good question. I don't know their lineup. I'm going to say no. Okay. Just, uh, how pissed are you that Phil Goslin's not in the lineup? I'm indifferent. Come on! You love Phil more than I do. The guy is raking! I mean, he's your best friend, apparently. He's raking right now. I don't care. Come on, what do you mean you don't care? Then you don't care about Philly's baseball. How do you keep him out? Because there's a reason. Why? I don't know! It's not production. Obviously not. Why do you think Girardi makes half the moves he does? Numbers. Exactly. There's probably some numbers telling them, No gosling, broads. 